Welcome everybody to episode one of Apologetics, Basic Apologetics. Uh, your host Steve Cunningham of SenseFidelio.us and the corresponding YouTube channel. Uh, we're going to get into it. Uh, basically, this just the first one. We're just getting the ground breaking, just starting basic ground level stuff. The common objections that you would hear from your Protestant compadres uh, and other folks like this, but mostly the Protestants right now. We'll get into Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, and uh, Mohammedans and things like that later. Uh, but we're just going to stick with just common common responses that you might hear every day. You probably heard them already many times. Example. Uh, you have somebody coming up to you and say, look, we can agree disagree about many things, but what is important is that we know we can be saved by Jesus Christ. Tell me if you were going to die tonight, do you know for sure you'd be going to heaven? I'm sure everyone's probably been taught, asked that by evangelical Baptist, anybody like that. But what do you say? Uh, if you respond that Christians can't, apart from a special revelation from God, have a, have a metaphysical absolute certainly concerning their uh, salvation, a completely biblical and theological precise answer, your evangelical friend might gleefully spring a, quote, trap on you based on 1 John 5.13, which, which says, These things I write to you that you may know you have eternal life, you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Well, how do you get around that? You know, the, the, evangel the evangelical probably go, see, smiling. The Bible disagrees with you and proceeds to inform you that if you confess with thy mouth that the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God has raised him up from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with thy heart, with the heart, we believe unto justice, but with the mouth's confession is made unto salvation, which is in Romans 10, 9 through 10. It's really simple, they'll say. Salvation is Christ. Salvation in Christ is a free gift that God is just waiting to give you if you open your heart to Jesus and accept Him as your personal Lord and Savior. The Catholic Church can't promise you this assurance of salvation, but the Bible says you can have assurance. What do you say? And you know, that's you know, it's flat out, flat out right there what they said in front of one one John five thirteen. You can be sure that you may know you will have eternal life. You who believe in the name of Christ, Christ Jesus, in the name of the Son of God. What do you say? A great way to start out is by quoting 1, 1 Timothy 2.5 because you can use others like the Jehovah Witnesses that will mess up uh, or take verses out of context. Because, you know, Jehovah Witnesses are equally confident Jesus is not God. And they can quote plenty of verses like 1 Timothy 2.5, which seem to imply that Jesus was only human, not human and divine. And we know that the Witnesses are wrong, right? That's why we have to take scripture in context we have to be we have to be careful to take scripture in context or we'll fall into the old trap a text without context is a pretext so let's look at 1 john 5 13. you may know uh the greek word for that is edite is a, deriv a derivative of oida o-i-d-a and this term does not necessarily apply at absolute certain knowledge the same is true in english and other language we use the verb to know in more than one way. Example, say you go into, you studied all night for a test and you say, I know I'm going to make an A on that test tomorrow. Well, you can have confidence that you're going to make an A, but you're not going to be absolutely assured. that You don't have absolute knowledge that you're going to make an A. You can make a B, C, D, you could fail. Now, you know, you don't know you're going to have that. The verb, for instance, the verb I know means to have confidence. 
But if you look at the context of 1 John, you'll see the broader context of how Aditya is used in chapter 5, verse 13. In the very next verses, 14 and 15, St. John says, quote, And we have this confidence in him, that if we hear anything according to his will, he will hear us. And if he hears us, we know, the Greek, oidamen, O-I-D-A-M-E-N, a form of oida, that what we have asked him for is ours. So basically, you can ask your friend if they have absolute certainty that whatever they ask for in prayer, they were going to get. You know, obviously they cannot say that that they have absolute certainty that anything they ask for in prayer they will get. You can have some confidence, but you to absolutely certainly know from 100% without a shadow of a doubt. No, you cannot have. You can follow that up by quoting 1 John 3, 21, 22, which is found later. Quote, Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence in God and receive from him whatever we ask because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Obviously, St. John here is speaking of confidence that we will receive what we pray for. And here again, this is not a confidence equivalent, equivalent to an absolute assurance. It's just basically saying you have confidence. There's no absolute knowledge, certainty that you have this. Christ warned that at the last judgment, many unrighteous people would be shocked to discover that conduct they thought was acceptable is not, in fact, acceptable to the Lord. See that in Matthew 25, 41-46. can also point out that in 1 John, St. John is speaking to Christians, that is, believers who had accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. You look in chapter 2, uh, 12 through 14 for that. When he says, if we say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and the just, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from every wrongdoing. That comes from 1 John 1, 8 through 9. Notice St. John includes himself in this category by using the word we. Ask, ask them what would happen if they did not confess their sins. Uh, what would happen if she, he or she confessed with her mouth but wasn't truly repentant? Would God forgive her anyways? If, she says, if he or she says, if they say yes, they contradict the biblical scripture uh, passages that say unrepented sin will not be forgiven and nothing, unsinful, nothing sinful or unclean can enter heaven. Look at uh, Habakkuk 1, uh, 13 and Revelation 21, 8 through 9 and 27. And you get these if-then if statements a lot. These guys have to reject those if-then ones. Example, St. John also says, Let what you heard from the beginning remain in you. If what you heard from the beginning remains in you, then you remain in the Son and in the Father. That's common for 1 John 2, 24. Uh, there's many of these fan statements. St. John also makes a distinction between mortal and venial sins in 1 John 5, 16 through 17. He explains that, quote, all wrongdoing is sin, but that some types of sin are mortal. The Greek prothanatan, prothanatan, means unto death. While there are other sins that are venial, the Greek mesprothanatan, thanatan. Not unto death. The one who is born of God does not commit mortal sin. If he does, he is, quote, cut off from the body, as St. Paul describes in Romans 11, 22 through 24, and Galatians 5, 4. St. Peter also mentions this in 2 Peter 2, 20 through 22. Christ provided a sacramental means from which a person can commit grave sin and can be restored to fellowship with God and the church in John 20, 21 through 23, which we'll get into later bring up that the point that if uh, if one can lose their salvation, then salvation cannot be absolutely assured. Uh, a good story is the uh, prodigal, uh, prodigal son. He's in the house, leaves, and then comes back. 
I just gave a really short version of that. You can look it up and see what the church fathers say. Uh, Romans 11.22, uh, St. Paul talks about it. He goes, See then the kindness and severity of God, severity towards those who fell, that is, from salvation, as you can see in chapter 11, 11 through 22, previous to this verse. But God's kindness in you, provided you remain in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. Uh, there's other contingency clauses pertaining to salvation in uh, Matthew 10, 22 through 32, Luke 12, 41 through 46, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 2, Colossians 1, 22 through 23, Hebrews 3, through 3, 6 and 14, and Revelation 2, 10, 25, 26, chapter 3, 1 through 5, chapter 22, 18 through 19 for examples. So two, uh, 2 Peter 2, 20-22, which we mentioned earlier, states, For if, flying from the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they be again t entangled in them and overcome, their latter state has become unto them worse than the former, for that of the true proverb has happened to them. The dog is returned to his vomit, and the sow that is washed to her wallowing in the mire. So, yeah, you can think that's not getting any clearer than that. You can lose your salvation, basically. And the uh, the word here for knowledge is epinose. You know, the root nose means knowledge, uh, but a particular kind of knowledge. Uh, we mentioned oida, oida, O-I-D-A, before. Uh, this term refers to an intellectual knowledge. Nose, on the other hand, uh, denotes knowledge that becomes from experience. Furthermore, the word here in Second Peter 2.20, as a prefix epi, E-P-I, meaning full, which would make this word epinose to mean literally in English full experiential knowledge. Uh, this points to the fact that the sinner spoken of this as escaped the defilements of the world through a full experiential knowledge of Christ Jesus. And merely just knowing him isn't, you know, enough. Yeah. Notice, too, that the image St. Peter uses in verse 22 is that a so that has been washed in water. He speaks of water baptism. He means water baptism in this. So like in 1 Peter 3, 20-21, when he says this, meaning the water of the great flood, prefigured baptism, which now saves you. Which you can always get back to somebody when they say, because I've heard it, baptism doesn't save anybody. What does scripture say? Now the connection between 2 Peter 2.20 and 1 Peter 3.21 is pretty obvious in this. They're both, elements, they're both dealing with elements of salvation. And if you really want to get more further context for 2 Peter 2.20, have them read 2 Peter 1, 2 through 4, where Peter begins his letter with a description of believers to whom he is writing. Quote, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge, there's that uh, Greek word there, epinose, full experimental knowledge of God, and of Jesus the Lord, that you might be partakers of the divine nature after escaping from the corruption that is the world because of evil desire. In the Greek there, it literally means having escaped from, and the phrase into cosmo, in the world, describe exactly the condition of being a, quote, born-again Christian, one who's been freed from God's grace to, from sin and defilement. The exact same words are used in 2 Peter 2.20 to describe that one who's fallen back in his old sinful state, worse off than before had he accepted Christ as his Savior and was born again, quote, for if they haven't escaped, there's a Greek word right there for escaped, uh, haven't escaped from, the defilement of the world, to cosmoi, through the knowledge, epinose, of our Lord Jesus Christ, again become entangled therein and overcome by them, their last condition is worse than the first. 
And you go even further, it says Matthew 6, 15, where Christ warns, If you do not forgive others, neither will your Heavenly Father forgive you for your transgressions. Uh, in other words, Christ doesn't care how many times you were born again, or how many times you may claim to be, and how many spiritual experiences you quite might have. If you don't forgive others, you will not be forgiven for your sins. Uh, this warning about losing salvation is repeated again in Matthew 16, uh, Matthew 19, 16 through 30. <clears throat> uh, the Bible warns again Christians that they could be uh, cut off from salvation in Romans eleven eighteen through 22. Fall from grace, Galatians 5, 1 through 5. And have their, have their names removed from the Lamb's Book of Life, Revelation twenty two nineteen, By committing certain sins and not repenting of them. we got Ephesians 5, 3 through 5, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. This is a famous one. Galatians 5, 19, Revelation 21, 6 through 8. And then you got St. Paul that talks about it, you know, in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. I drive my body and train it for fear that ever having preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. And to the point of if, uh, the little quote, the statement that if you believe in your heart that uh, confess with Jesus with your mouth, you shall be saved. <clears throat> yes, it does say that, but it doesn't mean that we confess him one time. The Greek word used in here literally means entails confession of Christ throughout our lives. So in Matthew 10, 22, 20, uh, 22, 33, the Lord says, We shall be hated for all men for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Everyone who acknowledges, there's that great word, me, me before men, him will I acknowledge, same word, before my heavenly Father. But whoever denies me before others, I will deny him before my heavenly Father. Notice the context is holding fast to one's confession to Christ, of Christ until death. You can also look at Hebrews 4, 14, 10, 23, 26, 2 Timothy 2, 12. Uh, the Bible is also clear in confessing Christ is done not merely by words, but primarily by deeds. Conversely, de denying Christ is done primarily by deeds, also known as sin. Uh, 1 Timothy 5, 8 uh, speaks of whoever does not provide relatives, especially family members, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And you got 1 Corinthians 6, 9 that speaks of, Do you not know the unjust will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor, adul nor adulterers, nor boy prostitutes, nor practicing homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor robbers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, you know, scriptures nowhere says a born-again Christian commits sins such as these die and still go to heaven. So that whole once saved, always saved idea, it's kind of, you know, that's, you don't get the golden ticket as you had Willy Wonka. Also, there's a final warning by St. Paul. Uh, he quotes, starting... These things happen as examples for us, that means born-again Christians, that is, so that we might not desire evil things as they did. Do not become idolaters, as some of them did. Let us not indulge in immorality, as some of them did. These things happen to them as an example, and they have been written down as a warning to us, upon whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, whoever thinks he is standing secure should take care not to fall. That comes from 1 Corinthians 10, 6, 8 through 11 through 12. More verses include uh, examples, Matthew seven twenty one, where the famous phrase, not everyone says, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And they, the, the people talking to him are just go down this litany of things that they've done. And Christ basically tells them, I never knew you. Uh, Matthew 24, 13, those who persevere to the end shall be saved, will be saved. Uh, Philippians 2, 12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, Galatians 5.4, separate from Christ, you've fallen from grace. 2 Timothy 2.11-13, must hold out to the end to reign with Christ. Uh, Hebrews 10.26-27, if sin after receiving truth judgment remains. Uh, 
The, the real Catholic answer is uh, I have been saved, I am being saved, I will be saved. And you can use the verses here as uh, Romans 8.24, For in hope we were saved. Ephesians 2.5.8, By grace you have been saved through faith. But that's a good one for worse because actually, you know, after this, they use that line all the time. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not works, lest any man should boast. Which, by the way, if you read uh, the next verse, verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus in good works, which God hath prepared that we should walk in them. Which gets into his works, his works justification. Now let's look at Romans 2, 6 through 11. Good works are necessary for eternal life, according to St. Paul. Quote, For he will render to every man according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality he will give eternal life but those who do not obey the truth but obey wickedness there will be wrath and fury there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil the jew first and also the greek but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good the jew first and also the greek for god shows no partiality now in context of this these saint paul is trying to clear up the uh, problem in rome with the uh, the first century heresy of the Judaizers who wanted to go back to the Moses way of you know following all the uh, precepts of the Mosaic law uh, have circumcision or all this they didn't believe that Christ could you know that you needed you needed the old stuff to read. Christ wasn't good enough basically uh, one had to keep the Levitical law uh, which according to Hebrews 7 11 12 has passed away in Christ and be circumcised. You'll see that Acts 15, uh, 1 through 2. That was one of the first things that the Council of Jerusalem they were talking about. Uh, it's obviously St. Paul has a sect in mind when he says in Romans 2, 28 through 29, he is not, For he is not a real Jew who is out is one outwardly, nor is true circumcision something eternal and physical. He is a Jew who is one inwardly, and real circumcision is the matter of the heart, spiritual and not literal. The same St. Paul tells us that the true circumcision of Christ and new covenant baptism in Colossians 2, 11 through 12. In this context where St. Paul says that we are justified by faith apart from the works of the law. He didn't say there was no works required of any, in any sense. He specified the works of the law because these are the very works without which the Judaizers were claiming one, quote, cannot be saved. Again, go back to Acts 15, 1 through 2. You can see you can see more of that in uh, Galatians three two through three five two through six where he talks about. Let me ask you this: Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing of faith? We're hearing with faith. Are you so foolish? Having begun with the Spirit, are you now ending with the flesh? Now I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is bound to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we wait for the hope of righteousness, the chiasunum, justification. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is of any avail but faith working through love. Notice there is no such notion as justification by faith alone with St. Paul. In Romans 6, 16, St. Paul tells us that after baptism, remember back in Romans 6, 3-4, obedience to Christ, that means good works, leads us to justification, while sin, that means bad works, will lead us to death. Quote, Do you not know that if you yield yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, 
either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Notice that St. Paul is very clear. Obedience leads to justification and eternal life, while sin leads to eternal death. And then you look back to Romans 6, 23. Uh, but his emphasis isn't just on works, but works done in and through the power of Christ. And then, uh, you know, St. Paul, just to uh, make sure you don't get the wrong idea, he just puts it plain and simple in Galatians 5, 19, 21, 6, 7 through 8. If we allow ourselves to be dominated by our flesh or lower nature, we will not make it to heaven, unless, we course, unless of course, we confess our sins, turn from them, and seek forgiveness from God. Quote, now the works of the flesh are plain, immorality, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, party, spirit, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he that sows to his own flesh will, also, will from that flesh reap corruption, eternal death. But he who sows to the Spirit, from the Spirit reap eternal life. And then you go, they get back into this, uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. So you bring up the context, which in verse 4 through 6, St. Paul says, But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him. Here St. Paul is talking about initial grace of salvation or justification, which we were raised from death into life. We already said this whole thing is entirely merited. It's Grace is entirely married. Uh, I mean, come on, we we baptize babies. Tell me what a tell me what a work a, a baby does. You know, not none. It's entirely unmerited. There's, there's literally nothing else the Catholic Church can do to show that that to demonstrate this truth. However, once that baby grows up and reaches the age of accountability, he or she must begin to work out her salvation without with fear and trembling, for God is at work in him or her, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Where St. Paul says in Ephesians 2, uh, 2.10, the very next verse after Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And finally, the nail in the coffin is, you know, it's James 2.24. Are we justified by faith? Certainly. By faith alone? Not according to this. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. It's kind of like you go up to somebody and say, hey, yeah, yeah, you know, faith alone is in the Bible. It's only, it's found once. Why don't you turn to James 2.25, and have and just have them read it. It says, not by faith alone. It's the only place where not by faith, not, where faith alone is only combined together is right by and not is followed, not precedes faith alone. Also, you can look at other uh, lines. Uh, first is this Matthew 7.21. Again, that not everyone says, Lord, Lord, we'll enter the kingdom of heaven, but anyone that does the will of the Father. Uh, Matthew 19, 16, 17, to have life, this is the second person of the Blessed Trinity saying this one, keep the commandments. John 14, 21, he who keeps my commandments loves me. Romans 2, 2 through 8, we already talked about this earlier, eternal life by perseverance and good works. Galatians 5, 4 to 6, Ephesians 2, 8, 10, Philippians 2, 12, 13, James 2, 14 through 24, read that whole paragraph. Uh, Romans 2, 5 through 8, God will repay each man according to his works. We mentioned that earlier. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, uh, recompense according to what did in the body. 2 Corinthians eleven fifteen, their end will correspond to their deeds. Uh, 1 Peter 1 to 17, God judges impartiality according to one's works. Uh, Revelation 28, 12 through 13, dead judge according to their deeds. Colossians 3, 24-25, that you will receive due payment for whatever you do. And really that goes into 
you know, the doctor of grace, St. Augustine, who uh, was going after the plagi uh, plagians, plagianism, who was uh, basically one of those guys that thought that you could just pull up with your own bootstraps, do your own things. I had a guy in the car one time, he was telling me, oh, you Catholics only a works-only group. And I asked him, I said, have you ever heard of plagianism? He had no idea what I was talking about. And I told, I told him the church condemned that idea in the fourth century. And that's what they said, all it is. It's works only. You don't need grace. So, I mean, again, we go back to when people, the Protestants don't know all everything that they think they know. If you just have a little bit of information, a little bit of knowledge in there, you can combat whatever they throw at you, literally anything. So, yeah, Pelagianism was condemned to condemned heresy. They claim that we follow that. They have no idea what that is. And we have the Dr. Grace and Augustine, who was the head leader going after all that. So, yeah, we need grace. We can't do it by ourselves. We have to have the grace of God to do it. We can't do anything without him. So, yeah, go back through everything. Try to remember the verses. Remember, just write down the verses down. Uh, I used a lot of, from, I used the book, uh, Tim Staples, Nuts and Bolts, heavily in this. Uh, just get that one. Yeah, it's a great book to memorize. I usually, I have like seven or eight chapters of that thing pre-memorized, but I was the one to make sure I was following the right path in there, just to uh, go off my own tangent. And get one of those uh, Catholic verse finders. Uh, Dr. Marshall, Dr. T uh, Taylor Marshall has uh, one on his side. There's one on Amazon you can get for a buck fifty. Uh, but yeah, just memorize the verses. Again, uh, here's a couple ones just to finalize the, this this episode. Uh, James 2.24, a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. James 2.26, faith without works is dead. Uh, Galatians 5.6, only thing that counts is faith working in love. 1 Corinthians 13.2, faith without love is nothing. John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Matthew 19, 16 through 17, if you wish to enter life, keep my commandments. Remember, we got, went back to a lot of those if-then statements. There's a ton of them in Scripture. So yeah, just go down, memorize as much as you can. Repetitio Mater Studiorum, the uh, uh, repetitions the mother all study. But yeah, just keep practicing. Everything you do in life, you have to practice to get good at. So you keep practicing this, and you'll get good at this. Well, this concludes episode one of this. I was going to, you know, like I said, we're just going to start out doing some basic apologetic ones, just common objections that you hear from Protestants a lot. So today we just did uh, assurance of salvation and faith alone. Go back through again and try to remember. My When I do it, I go through, I, li I like listening to audio. It can, I can remember it better. But I also have highlighted all the verses that I need to so that when it goes through that I have it memorized in my mind. A game of plan of action, so I, you already know what they're going to ask, and you already know what you're going to come back with. Well, God bless. Uh, say uh, as uh, Blessed Pierre Giorgio said, "Say a hell Mary for me, and I'll be eternally grateful." And I'll say one for you. Again, this is Steve Cunningham, sensevidelium.us. Please support our work on the uh, Patreon, PayPal, Post Office, Stripe, Stride, whatever. It's all on the website, sensevidelium.us. More links and uh, readings are available on that site. God bless and Mary keep you.